Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Office Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome back to Tech People. Today we're discussing diversity, belonging and inclusion in the workplace, which is a major challenge for many organizations today, especially post-COVID. This is something I'm very passionate about myself, as it is all about people and culture for us at Ops Talent. To help explore this topic further, I'm delighted to be joined by Hans Donkers, founder and co-CEO of Jigsaw, an AI-powered people analytics solution. And also, he is a co-founder of Bean Machine, a consultancy firm in the domains of organization development and HR. Welcome to the show, Hans. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting your views on this interesting topic. Before we get into it, maybe you could just give us a bit of background about who you are and you know what you're currently doing. Sure, sure. Well, actually, I started my career as a researcher in philosophy and applied ethics. That was about 20 years ago when I was studying actually the ethics of public health, vaccination, herd immunity, etc. So if I would have continued that, this would have been a great time for me. But I didn't. And so uh, today I'm doing other things. As you said, I have two, two small companies. And other than herd immunity, what's keeping me busy right now is, let's say, the, the company herds, teams, and how they're functioning and how people feel that they belong or not, and what we can do about it. Okay, cool. So maybe just a little bit start, um, just from your point of view, could you briefly describe what diversity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace means to you? Sure. Well, I think the, the public debate has been evolving in, in the past years, and whereas we were focusing a lot on, let's say, the diversity metrics, having as many women in leadership positions as men, etc. I see it's evolving more and more towards equity and inclusion. So not the very hard metrics, but okay. the aspects that really guarantee that that people are treated equally, do feel included. And I think that's that's also where we need to go. If we talk about diversity and inclusion in companies, it's I mean hiring people from minority groups is one thing, making sure that everyone feels involved, everyone has a sense of belonging, that's that's another thing and it's much harder. I mean, you cannot just manage that from a dashboard or from the numbers. It's a totally different challenge. Yeah, and what do you mean when you say a sense of belonging? I mean, how do you, what do you mean when you say people have a sense of belonging in an organization? Well, being hired in a company for who you are, your competences, etc., is one thing, but then I mean, once you're part of the organization, do you feel accepted by others? Are you invited to contribute? Are you respected? Are you valued? Et cetera. All that contributes to, you know, that one of the three essential parts of the self-determination theory. So, you know, the well-known ABC, where the A stands for autonomy, the B for belonging, the C for competence, and the B is often a, a very hard one to achieve because, I mean, 
I can receive some autonomy. I can feel competent by getting the right assignments and nailing them. But belonging really involves also other people and cannot just be engineered. Whereas the, the first ones, the, the autonomy and the, and the competence can be engineered, let's say, in a very rational approach. Whereas the belonging is less tangible, uh, less engineerable. Okay. So what, what are the, the challenges companies are facing with this today? Well, let me make this very concrete and refer to, to some of the work we're doing. So in, in, in the two companies, Bean Machine as, you know, consultants for teams, but also Tixo, where we gather data around topics like psychological safety and team cohesion, we've been observing that there are significant differences when we uh, look at belonging or even psychological safety when it comes to gender. And so even in companies who are really pioneers in, in gender diversity, we see that there's a significant difference that in general, women feel less comfortable in sharing their ideas and speaking up. They feel less part of the team than men do in general. And so I think we need to un unravel some of the underlying patterns there and find ways to deal with that, to go beyond, as I said, you know, the diversity metrics and to really establish an environment where everyone has the same level of confidence, the same level of feeling comfortable in being him or herself and in contributing. Yeah, interesting. And does, you know, companies today, I mean, that have these type of challenges. Is this a key reason why they have such maybe high turnovers or attracting new talent? Would you feel? Uh, could be. But, but again, there's a paradox there. I see customers who are known for their uh, diversity policies, who are, you know, a very um, open and inclusive employer when it comes to hiring when it comes to promoting, when it comes to pay, etc. But that doesn't always imply that in the daily reality of the work of teamwork that people do feel included. And yes, I mean, there is a, a link also backed by science uh, okay. between a lack of, of sense of belonging, a lack of psychological safety and absence, turnover, well-being in general. So absolutely, Ken. Oh, okay. How about some of the solutions? I mean, what you've seen or even what you, you've been doing yourselves with other companies. Could you share, share some ideas with us? Yeah. How should I, where should I start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, in the end, it's pretty simple and yet uh, so hard to implement. So what is this about? We should look at company life, team interaction as, you know, as routines that were built in over the years, also reflecting some of the, the shared beliefs or the dominant beliefs in an organization. And I'm going to make this concrete with referring to, you know, the main activity that every team, uh, that every team has team meetings. So here we are with the team members around the table. We put a topic for discussion on the table or a question, and then we open the debate. And what happens there is that, let's say, members of the dominant culture or the majority, and in most cases, that will be, that will be men, white men, highly educated. They will start, you know, freely sharing their ideas, uh, raising their voices, claiming the attention. And so in the end, 
dominate the debate, but also exclude other voices from the debate. And that has to do with, you know, that pattern of just opening up, uh, letting people speak who want to, who want to speak and not actively creating a space for everyone to contribute their ideas. So an important solution lies in the design of scripts, interaction spaces, routines that ensure that everyone around the table has equal speaking time, that they will be listened to, that they will not be interrupted, etc. So um, the solutions we or one of the solutions we try to implement is using these interaction scripts, these formats, these methods for uh, sharing ideas, for listening to each other in those team routines like team meetings. So that would mean that instead of you know, the, the chairperson of the meeting just launching the subject and the topic and then waiting for people who want to contribute, organizing, turn-taking, limiting speaking time for everyone, etc. And that, from research, shows that people feel much more comfortable in sharing their ideas. And the important thing is not only that people feel comfortable in sharing their, their ideas, but the most important thing maybe for business performance is that you get all that you get the richness of everyone around the table and not just the views of a few people yeah. with a loud voice or with an assertive mindset. I might pick your brain a bit further on this because I work with a lot of IT developers. Mm -hmm. And often I find in a group situation, they don't speak up. But when mm -hmm. a one-to-one, -one, they do. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. a small crowd. Yeah. And it's trying to get them to speak up in a group. No, yeah. trying to get that creative. I mean, what would you suggest for that? Well, it's it's actually not very surprising that people don't speak up because speaking up requires quite some courage, and there's a lot of you know psychological mechanisms standing in the way because speaking up entails a big risk. It entails the risk of looking incompetent huh? if you raise a question or being intrusive if you critique. Etc. So there's a lot of, let's say, psychological risks that, and as we all know, the in a social situation, preventing a loss is much more powerful, a much more powerful mechanism than creating a gain. And so we try to, you know, save our faces, save our reputation by not speaking up. Whereas if we install, let's say, a routine or a practice that ensures this shared risk taking, that makes people understand that we will all take that social risk, yeah. then the burden becomes much lower than people know that everyone will be taking the risk. And so they're much more willing to contribute. But if you just open the debate and people are not sure whether everyone's going to take that risk, then they will choose not to. And the paradox there, or I mean, it's an equation. If it's an equation between my win or loss individually and the win or loss for the team or for the company. Because we know that by sharing ideas, the team or the company will win because you will get diversity, you will get richness of ideas. But that win is, I mean, it's not direct and the win is not for me individually. So as an individual, I tend to make another equation and think, okay, what am I risking of losing here? My reputation, my status. So um, I will choose, you know, to prevent the loss rather than to go for the uh, collective win. If yeah, that makes sense to you. 
you know, also I found as well is cultural. So working across, you know, for example, different geographies, mm. like working between America or Ireland, England, and working maybe Eastern Europe, I found the, the language barrier, even though people have perfect English, they're also maybe mm. afraid to speak up because they don't feel their English is perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that now you trigger my, um, you know, the philosopher in me. There's this um, Belgian philosopher, uh, Philip van Parijs, who actually uh, wrote an interesting essay on that on linguistic justice, where he actually shows with with data that native English speakers are much more privileged than non-native speakers. And he, he in the essay, actually um, suggests that we all start talking English worldwide and that it will take maybe two or three generations to make sure that everyone becomes a native speaker and then we we sort of erase that linguistic injustice but yeah i mean language is one thing culture is another one there's the you know the well-known research from the dutch management scientist hofstede who mapped culture and a number of sub dimensions like power distance but also masculinity femininity and there we see that a more feminine company culture will lead to more inclusion, will lead to a more psychological safe environment where people have a more listening attitude, speak up uh, more easily because they know that they will be listened to. Whereas a masculine culture typically, you know, focuses on individual performance, on speaking rather than listening, individual merit rather than collective objectives. So yeah, there's definitely a cultural aspect. How about the, the generation aspect? You know, um, younger generations seem yeah. much more confident these days yeah. than what I would have been at that age. Yeah, I hope it will be different with that generation. I, I do have that same intuition, but I have to say I don't have any data on it. And okay. we also know from the past that every you know new generation seems to be the one who will solve the old problems. But yeah, we'll have we'll have to see about that. There's a lot of research also on values and and young people and actually time and again we see that even the young generation adheres to in the end to the old values so um yeah yeah we think they're all rebels and that it will all change the world but once the you know the professional socialization uh kicks in they become part of you know the same mechanisms that have been there for for decades or centuries and uh they quickly lose their rebellious nature. Yeah, very interesting. How about, you know, with all, this, all these people working from home now and the whole link with a sense of belonging, is that becoming even more of a challenge? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, big time. Although we did our own research last year d- during the pandemic. And in general, one could say that, you know, the sense of belonging was decreasing, team cohesion was decreasing, etc. In most environments, however, Environments where they already had practices of, you know, sharing, turn taking, rituals, etc. It actually, uh, those teams actually scored better on team cohesion because they, they knew that they had to take care of, um, of that, of the, okay. the sense of belonging. And they already had the instruments uh, and the practices. So for them, it was like an invitation to, to go even further. And you just refer to IT yourself. Yes. Based on our, the sample of, 
of organizations and employees we had actually showed a significant difference in IT environments because, and that, no, not because my assumption there is that within a lot of IT environments, people are familiar with different rituals and routines from agile, from the agile methodology, where I mean, and Agile is, is basically built around these interaction scripts, turn taking, uh, shared risk taking. And so maybe that explains why in these environments, teams scored better, uh, yeah, okay. rather than in traditional environments where you would have instead of, you know, the, the standups, the scrums, you know, the, the yes. daily, the daily stuff, uh, yes. in more traditional environments, I mean, the, the, the setting is let's gather around the table two, three hours every week and start discussing or yelling or nodding or whatever. Uh, so they didn't have these, um, these muscles in place, the more yeah. traditional, uh, environments. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. Actually, when you think about it, mm-hmm. tell me about, I mean, uh, you gave us some ideas there of proof of thought on how you can address it. How about pitfalls? What, what should companies be avoiding? Well, I don't know if it's a pitfall, but it's definitely a potential collateral damage that I'm seeing when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. I see a lot of companies now applying affirmative action or positive discrimination, no matter how you call it. And so I see in some, some companies, some of our clients, this sort of cynicism appearing in, let's say, the male workforce where they start feeling that it's no longer about their individual performance, but about their gender or about their ethnicity. And I think we, we need to take that into account and have a very open dialogue around it and avoid losing people in this, yeah, in this evolution. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely something we should not be ignorant about. Yeah. The other side of it, Jeff, really good point. Thank you, Mr. Lance. Thank you so much for sharing. How do you see this evolving for the future? I mean, what direction are we going? Is it becoming more and more of a challenge for companies now? Or are companies starting to, do you see more companies really starting to address this? Yeah, yeah, more, more and more can I have to say. And a couple of years ago, I was having this discussion with a colleague talking about diversity and inclusion. And we had this, let's say this arrogant attitude saying, yeah, but that's something very from the US uh, where there's a lot of discrimination here in Europe. We don't have it. Obviously, I mean, that was pretty arrogant and ignorant. We do have it. But back then, let's say two, three years ago, diversity and inclusion was some sort of a marginal function somewhere. You know, there would be a person responsible for CSR and and diversity and without any budget, without any impact. I think as since society is really evolving and we've had the, the Me Too and other, you know, very important debates going on in society, I see these these things also translating to the the work context. And so I don't think it's no longer a marginal function. It's really something that's high on the agenda, whether or not for the right reasons, because I hear some companies say talking about it as a non-financial risk, or that's not really a very um, intrinsic motivation to work on it. But I do see it much higher on the agenda. And I hope that we will not limit the discussion to you know, just the diversity metrics that we will not limit other related topics like, you know, sexual harassment to, um, creating some whistleblowing procedures, but that we actually find ways to rethink and even re-engineer daily practices of how we interact with each other, 
how we have an open and honest conversation, how we include everyone. And yeah, we're both uh, white males, highly educated. I think <laughs> we're the worst or no, I mean, we're never discriminated, huh? you and I. And so I think we'll have to um, maybe take a step back and yeah, reflect and be open for uh, for other approaches. Yeah. I don't think the solutions will come from us. Yeah, very interesting hands. And this is a lot of food for thought. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Well, if they offer me a coffee, I'm always interested. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to do so, yeah, they can, I mean, find me on LinkedIn, uh, send me an email. Um, they can go to... Uh, jigsaw.com and find my contact details there or LinkedIn, whatever. Always happy to to share and to learn from others. So, um, yeah, I can, I can, would be a bonus. Yeah, I can contest to this because uh, I did reach out to Hans when I came across his book and he was happy to have a meet with me and have a chat and share his thoughts. So, Hans, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was a, a pleasure.